Well, we've reached a, a, a climax in the story of First and Second Samuel tonight. Um, all through this study of these two books of Samuel, God reveals what was in the heart of the people engaged in his work. When you look back and just consider Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, his sons, what does the book of 1 Samuel tell us about them? What was in their hearts? It reveals that Eli had compromised. He wasn't willing to challenge the sin that was being uh, entered into by his sons and Hophni and Phinehas in their hearts were worldly desires the passions of the flesh and they're contrasted with Elkanah and Hannah but also in that story there's Penina what was in Penina's heart? What does 1 Samuel tell us about Penina? As she goaded and, uh, you know, tried to get under the skin of Hannah, provoking her to jealousy. She had no children and Penina had produced children. What does that tell us about the heart? God is in the scriptures revealing the hearts of the people. But what about Elkanah and Hannah? What was in their hearts? They went up year by year to the tabernacle, to the place of worship and acknowledged the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts, which is the first place in the scriptures where this name Jehovah Sabaoth appears and it first appears on the lips of Hannah herself as she prays. And what's in her heart? What does the Bible tell us about Hannah? Well, Eli judged her, didn't, didn't he? he? He thought in her heart was a lot of corrupt things. She was drunk. We can so easily judge people outwardly uh, thinking we know what's going on when... We don't. And then Hannah expressed what was in her heart. She said she'd been pouring out her heart to God. And even Eli, who was corrupt, you know, by his compromises, could recognize in the heart of a person like this, God is going to hear that prayer. And we move on. We then have the story of Eli and Samuel. And, uh, you know, Samuel goes to him three times and says, you call me, you call me. And then finally, Eli recognizes this is God. And we're told uh, in 1 Samuel 3 that the voice of the Lord or the, was rare in those days. God was not speaking often. But here he was speaking to Samuel. And then what does he reveal to Samuel? He actually tells him about the heart of Eli and how he's going to judge him because of the state of his heart. 
Now this must have had a tremendous impact on Samuel as he grows up, as he uh, spends time there in the tabernacle, as he becomes the servant of God in that community. And there's a, a, a very crucial text which we'll refer to in a moment on the lips of Samuel revealing his heart but we have others we've been looking at first and second so we've got to Saul the king what was in Saul's heart we reveal it's revealed isn't it he was not willing to submit to God's authority he went his own way and then he, he actually lied. Uh, you know, I've done everything that God told me to do. And then we have him contrasted with David. Now, what was in David's heart? He sinned with Bathsheba. What was in his heart? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you get rid of someone like that who committed adultery with a woman and then had her husband murdered? What is going on here? And then there's Ittai the Gittite, remember him? <laughs> what was in his heart? The, the man from Gath, the Goliath companion? His heart changed, didn't it? Completely. Absolutely had a change of heart. Absolutely abandoned his people, the Philistines, and went over 100% into David and his call of God to be the king. And we saw Barzillai, remember that man at 80? Was it 70? Oh, I'm too old. What was in his heart? And we've had Absalom and Sheba. All of these depictions of individual people in the Bible expose the heart. What is in the heart of the individual? And what stands out in relation to the hearts of those that God delights in is not so much that they got everything right, there's one thing that stands out about those whom God delights in and it's prayer. You'll see it as you read through this. The individuals that shine out in the historical account are Elkanah, every year going up, Hannah, Samuel, David, God's words to Samuel when he's looking at the son of Jesse, do not look at the appearance of the height of the statue. Remember, Eliab was the eldest one, looked fantastic. I've rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He sees into the depth of our being. And this is central to our understanding of those who delight God. But as I said before, what about David? You know, 
described as a man after God's own heart, and yet we have seen him make serious mistakes, choosing to rest when he should have been at war, leading to adultery with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband Uriah, David's desertion at one point to the Philistines in desperation. He lies to their leaders. The tragic outcome of all this is on his family and families around him. So how is it that the Bible's conclusion in relation to David is that he was a man after God's own heart? Well, the most significant record of David's action and life in the Bible is found in a different book, isn't it? The book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is virtually an account of David's prayer life. There are more Psalms written by David than any other individual person. There are more prayers of David in the Bible than any other person. No one whose prayers are more recorded. He learnt the importance of prayer from Samuel, who was inspired by his mother's example. I think that was true in the household of the Wesleys. Susanna Wesley. You know, she used to have, I think it was a tea towel or something she put over her head in the midst when she had to be in her secret place. She couldn't have a secret place. There was no secret place to go with all her children. She'd pull the thing over and she'd pray. Well, I think that stayed in the hearts and the minds of her children. Perhaps the most important statement Samuel makes in all these books is found in 1 Samuel twelve twenty-three. And this is what it says. Moreover, as for me, as he's addressing Israel, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. So the most serious sin here is failing to pray. And then he says, I will instruct you in the good and the right way. We cannot possibly instruct people in the good and right way unless we hear from God what is the good and right way. David's errors are almost exclusively connected with his failure to seek God in prayer. And his successes are almost always connected to his humbling of himself in prayer before God. Well, we've come to... 2 Samuel 22. And here is one of the most magnificent prayers in the Bible. It's a song of praise. And it's basically a testimony to the God who hears and answers prayer. We read tonight, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. He spoke to the Lord. What is that? It's prayer, isn't it? Prayer is speaking to God. You can be in a prayer meeting and you can hear people pray and sometimes they're not praying to God at all. You can do that. I can do that too. We can be doing it to impress people around us. We can be doing it to, you know, uh, say lots of good words. But God knows what's in the heart. What a joy to be in the company of those who pray when they're totally disconnected from you 
and connected to God. Well, here's David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Well, David had suffered extensively. Not only had he had the trouble with Saul, but finally when he becomes king, of course, he's got Absalom and Sheba and others. He had the Philistines fighting him. And here we have an account of David making a response to God when God delivers him from all his enemies. Wow, what a delightful experience to be in. And note David is recording, speaking to the Lord. Why does he write this down? Why does he just do it to the Lord? He wants you and me to know what he has been expressing to God. Why do we have recorded in the scriptures the prayers of Jesus? Even this morning, as Lamb was preaching about his account in the temptation in the wilderness, how did we get that story in the Bible? Who was there to witness it? Only Jesus. Only as he recounted to his disciples what took place could they record it and write it down. David not speaking to other people about his God, but expressing his worship to God. He recognised his deliverance from his enemies was not essentially a work of man, but of God. Now God used instruments, he used Joab and he used others, but essentially from Philistines, Absalom, Sheba and particularly Saul, David recognised it was God who delivered him. It was not his great skill, it was not his ability. Even when he goes up against Goliath, those words that he speaks to Goliath are words that you could directly take from Samuel. I come against you in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth. Now, Jehovah Sabaoth in the scriptures is the God referred to most in the latter prophets because the people in the latter prophets are telling God's people to pray. Pray. The last two books, Zechariah and Malachi, are saturated with one name, Jehovah Sabaoth. You have 400 years of darkness. The first record in the New Testament is of a prayer meeting outside the temple and God comes down. David is mindful. His deliverance is in response to his prayers. His prayers. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Who is your rock? Who is your fortress? Who is your deliverer? Who do you look to to bring deliverance? Your friends around you, you know, share all, oh, I've got this problem. Who really is the one you are truly engaging with, and you'll see in David's prayers who he engages with, to be your rock and your fortress and your deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. 
Now, all of us have troubles in this world. God sees our heart when we face troubles. Who do we take our troubles to, truly? He says, my shield. You are my shield. You protect me. And the horn of my salvation. Now the horn, of course, is in the scriptures, is a symbol of power, strength. You know, animals with horns, they use their horns to fight each other. You'll see it in the book of Daniel, these horned creatures fighting each other, breaking off the horn of one, breaking the power of one. The horn of salvation, the power of salvation. The God that we worship is powerful. How is his power released? Well, I think we'll see as we move on in the scriptures, that lovely text in Second Chronicles 16 where Asa is told, God shows his strong support for those whose hearts are completely his. David says, my stronghold, my refuge, my saviour, you save me from violence. Now, we were saved last week. We had a big gum tree out there, but I can tell you we have a larger tree right on the corner of our property there. In fact, you can see it out the window. You look out there and you'll see a liquid amber. It is the biggest tree in the community. And the neighbour across the road told Kerry, did you see your tree? If that tree had come down, well, we'd be seriously in... (laughs) We lost a branch, but it virtually did nothing. Just a small one. God protected us amazingly. And David is praising God for his deliverance, his protection. He's the fortress and the deliverer. But the next verse tells us how this deliverer came into action. What does verse 4 say? I called to the Lord. Well, how did he call to the Lord? Let's have a little bit of a look at David's prayers. We could start with Psalm 6. I'm not going to cover all of them. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. Are you ever in that state? My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Give me a testimony, he's saying, that I can declare your character. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Do you moan to God? Well, here's an here's a encouragement to moan to him. To express truly 
your trouble. And David is weary with his moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. How's your bed going? You see, we turn to many other things to seek deliverance, salvation, justice. But David turns to God. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. You know, the godly person will always have foes. Jesus was confronted by Satan and told us that story because he wants us to know you've got a foe. He'll even quote the scriptures to you out of context. That's Psalm 6. Well, we could move on to Psalm 13. I'm just going to cover a few here. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? You know, we've grown up in a society that wants to remove all troubles and pain and, you know, now we're advocating people should be euthanized once they get into that state. We've been prescribing, I heard recently uh, a doctor uh, reviewing the prescription of antidepressant drugs for young people and saying it's been a disaster. Because many young people have been feeling the anguish of the spiritual state of things and we've not encouraged them to pray. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now this is the experience of someone who God delights in. That's what we're reading here. How long, O Lord? Well, we could go on, we can read lots of the future Psalms. Psalm 18 actually is a recounting of Second Samuel 22. It's almost exactly the same words. Psalm 18 is, in fact, Second Samuel 22. But let's look at Psalm 35, where David is confronting enemies, and he says to God, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckle and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. God fights. He's a fighting God. And he always wins. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. And how does David live out his life in the midst of these anguishes and cries and wetting his bed with tears? Well, in Psalm 41, he tells us actually, he says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. 
David is living his life conscious of his need of God all the time. Well, nearly all the time. We could go to Psalm 54. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Psalm 55, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. I won't read the whole psalm to you, but it's full of crying out to God. Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. I wonder if someone in church got up in the test me time and started praying like Hannah, what we would think. I can remember a Sudanese lady doing that very thing in one of our prayer meetings in the creche. Threw herself on the floor and pleaded with God. It was powerful. Her name was Nyawaraga. But we are concerned about what people think, you see. We're concerned about how we appear to other people. And this is what really pleases God in David's life. In Psalm 59, he says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. Awake, come to meet me and see. The one that I love is Psalm 61. This is, a, this is how to pray. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. These are prayers recorded in the Bible to teach us to pray. To teach us to pray. The Bible is here to teach us to pray. To teach us how to pray. And David says in this passage that we read tonight, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompass me Waves of death, a sense of gloom and destruction just coming like waves over David. Ever felt that? Huh? Had that experience? Well, David is giving us an answer, isn't he? Here he's talking about the victory that has been won for him as he has prayed. 
The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. This is a man, the Bible tells us, is after God's own heart. Did Jesus experience this? In the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we see the most amazing prayers there? And telling the disciples at that very time to pray, lest they fall into temptation. Well, David tells us in verse 7, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Distress. Are you in distress? Quick, antidepressants. What about the God who delivers us? What about telling people about David's God? What about encouraging people to pray like David prayed, that they also may have testimony of a mighty God? To my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. And what happened then? The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. God is angry with those who oppose his purposes and he will fight against them. He will fight against them. And God just showed us on Tuesday his power. Just for... An hour or so, his power was demonstrated and wow, people were suddenly shaken. That was just a taste. God has not changed. He sees all human beings on earth. He deals with us impartially. Sodom and Gomorrah faced the wrath of God. I think it was Billy Graham's wife who said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologise to Sodom and Gomorrah. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. Oh, the wind. He made darkness around him, his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. God is a consuming fire. And we're told in the scriptures that the judgment on this earth is going to be fire. All the elements will be consumed by fire. I preached on that in India. How will we survive the fire? Well, there are three men in the scriptures who tell us how to survive the fire. And they did what Jesus was doing in the wilderness with Satan. They abided in the shadow of the Almighty. And he sent his angels to guard them. In fact, he sent his son into the fire.
The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. This is a man who has prayed to God, believing that God will hear him and come into action. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. And that's true. Those who are opposing godly people are too strong for them. Valentine. If you were here this morning, I shared about Valentine's Day. A true Christian saint. It's called Saint Valentine. We're all saints. But he was faithful to Jesus. His enemies were too strong for him. Well, earthly wise. But Valentine is remembered in Australia in 2024 on the 14th of February, even though they carry on with all sorts of other things. His date of martyrdom is still on the earth because God delighted in him. They confronted me, says David, in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out in a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And Valentine would have that testimony as he entered glory with the Lord Jesus. David's prayerful example has remained to this day and inspired the people of Israel. His prayers in the book of Psalms have been a foundation to the faith of Israel. And you can see the heritage that he left as a result of his prayerfulness. You take Look through the book of Kings and Chronicles and you'll see the ones, the kings that were pleasing to God, often referred to as sons of David. Take Asa as an example, who was actually very godly, except right at the end. In Second Chronicles 15, Asa and all his people covenanted to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and all their soul. You've got Jehoshaphat later on in Second Chronicles. In chapter 20, you know, when all these enemies appear, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea and behold, they and Hazan Tamar. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and set himself to seek the face of the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And all Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. What happened? Who came into action here? 
Was it Jehoshaphat using his great wisdom and ability? Well, no, because he says in the prayer, our eyes are on you, we don't know what to do. That's what David was saying in most of the prayers that he prayed. His eyes were on God. And all through the Bible, this is a focus. Go back to Exodus, when God appears to Moses at the burning bush. He says to him, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Who came into action there? And then we can move into the New Testament. What about in the book of Acts? In Acts 12, about that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some of the belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him into the hands of four squads of soldiers to guard him. Just imagine 16 soldiers guarding one man intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. They were crying out. They were desperate. What happened? God came into action. In the Old Testament, we have this beautiful psalm that was part of the... uh, cultural heritage of the Jew as they went up to the feasts at Jerusalem called the Songs of Ascent. They were ascending to Jerusalem and they used to sing these as they went. Well, Psalm 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And David here in 2 Samuel 22 is reaping with shouts of joy to God. On what basis? He has wept tears to God. And God has come into action. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And Jesus picks up this whole theme, doesn't he? You know, when he teaches the disciples. We read it tonight in Luke 18. He told them that they were going to be oppressed by an adversary. They would feel like a widow in a town, a widow, no no one to protect them except for God. As he describes this unrighteous judge who responds to the, what does he say, the bothering of this widow. Do you bother God? David did. Hannah did. Those who delight the Lord do that. They will not let him go. Jacob did at the brook. He refused to let go of God until he was blessed. 
And Jesus is bringing out the same principle here. He says, well, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who? Cry to him day and night. Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find people believing what I've just shared with you tonight? Will he find people actually putting it into practice and believing that God, the judge of all the earth, will do right? Will hear and answer the cries of his people? David was not a perfect man, but he believed in a perfect God who hears and answers the cries of his people. Second Samuel 22 is a song of praise to this God. Psalm 18, as I said before, is the same words recorded a second time. Let's pray.